بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تابعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين إن شاء الله تعالى this Saturday we will continue on this important and valuable topic of the value of time in the life of the scholars and obviously in the life of all believers and we mentioned last week um, a few indications of the value of time one of them is that time is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used in the Quran where he in different places swore by time وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي and that Imam Al-Fakhr Al-Razi mentions also that if the person spends all his life, all his life, in nonsense, in futile, and then towards the end of his life, he happened to invest one moment. One moment. That moment could be enough to save him from the hellfire. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts one minute from you, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts one moment from you, that will be enough to secure for you the eternal life in paradise, isn't it? That's why some of the scholars of the past used to say, if Allah accepts one rak'ah from me, I will be in, in Jannah eternally. <laughs> one rak'ah. Not even one rak'ah. What is even lesser than one rak'ah? Intention. If Allah accepts one intention from you, and we mentioned that Sayyidina Asim ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu, one of the close companions of the Prophet sallallahu he accepted Islam, and as soon as he accepted Islam, he heard the caller outside in Al-Madinah Al-Munawwara saying, Halummu ila al-jihad, go to jihad. He accepted Islam now, now, and in a minute later, he has not done wudu, he has not learned wudu, he has not prayed one single rak'ah. He heard some people calling, the Prophet ﷺ is inviting everyone to go out to the battlefield. So he jumped to the battlefield, he rode his horse and he ran. And then he died in the battle of Uhud. After the battle of Uhud, the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah has accepted him in paradise. That's a sahab who has not prayed one single rak'ah. One single rak'ah. Sayyidina Amr ibn al-Akwa, other various sahaba because of their intentions. Because of their intentions and because of this moment. And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us every Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us every Ramadan with one night. Laylat al-Qadr. You know what does the word Qadr mean? Value. Value. The night of value. Why is it a night of value? Why is it a night of value? Because it will not be given to someone except those who know its value. <laughs> except those who know its value. If you know its value, if you know that something is so precious and it's very valuable, what will you do for it? You, not, not just take it. You will look for it. You will wait for it, isn't it? You will wait for it. You will search for it. You will be keen on having it. So we will be spending time to wait for it. Why? Because it is of value, isn't it? If something is valuable for you, you will give time to it. So let's have a, a look at 
the importance of time in the life of the scholars before us. In the life of the scholars before us. So for example, Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala says in Madari Salikin, he says, Al-Ghayratu ala waqtin fat. One of the stations in our travel to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what we call, one of the feelings that we human, human beings have is what we call ghayra, jealousy. Isn't it? You become jealous for your dignity. You become jealous of someone who is better than you. You become jealous of someone who excels you. You become jealous for your family. You don't want your family to be seen by anyone, isn't it? You don't want your family to mix with it. This is jealousy, isn't it? Our jealousy is something that has to be uh, adapted by Islam. It has to be cooled down. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want us to have extreme jealousy because extreme jealousy, unjustified jealousy might kill, isn't it? Might kill you, might destroy your relationship. If you are jealous in a way that is unjustifiable, that might destroy your relationships completely. But there is one jealousy that is not just recommended, it is something that is strongly encouraged. Being jealous for your time. <laughs> Being jealous for your time, that your time is not stolen from you. As much as you are jealous that your wife is not taken away from you, that your dignity is not stolen from you, when someone abuses your dignity, huh? he's, he's stealing your, some of your pride, some of your self-esteem. Same thing, you should do it with your time. No one should steal time from you. Why? Because this time is the commodity, this is the payment that you pay for paradise. This is the commodity that you will be trading, that you will be trading in, in your relation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why they say that a new day doesn't make up for a missed day. A new time doesn't make up for a missed time. If you missed Asr of yesterday, even if you make it, even if you make it, it is never like the Asr at the time of Asr. Isn't it? What do we call it? Qada, isn't it? Qada. Qada is never like Adab. It's never like doing anything on time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that the people of paradise, the people of, of, of Jahannam, they will be regretful for what they have missed in their life. So he subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَنَّ لَهُمُ التَّنَاوُشُ مِنْ مَكَانٍ بَعِيدٍ How can they achieve it from so far? How can they achieve it from so far? And also, when you miss one of the things that make you miss your time and depreciate the value of time, brothers and sisters, and this is, this is something very important. One of the enemies of time is procrastination. Procrastination. What do you mean by procrastination? Saying, tomorrow, inshallah, in an hour. Bi'idhnillah, I will quit smoking next month. Inshallah, I will go and start having good relation with my parents and with my family and with my relatives in Eid, inshallah. You know, when Ramadan comes, I will try to change my lifestyle and I will try to be better, right? This procrastination and this delay is something so sweet, but it's very killing. It is so sweet because it gives you, it is like taking an antibiotic or taking some pills that kill the pain but it doesn't treat the illness, right? And that's why the, our earlier scholars and the Sahaba of the Prophet ﷺ used 
to advise their friends and their families and their students and people around them not to delay the work of today till tomorrow. Sayyidina Abu uh, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu wrote to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. These are two Sahaba. Sayyidina Umar writing to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, sending him a message. Saying, أَمَّا بَعْدْ فَإِنَّ الْقُوَّةَ فِي الْعَمَلِ the strength of good deeds lies in not delaying the work of today till tomorrow. If you want your deeds to be strong, don't delay them. فَإِنَّكُمْ إِذَا فَعَلْتُمْ ذَلِكْ تَدَارَكَتْ عَلَيْكُمُ الْأَعْمَالِ For if you do that, if you delay the work of today till tomorrow, what will happen? Sayyidina Umar says, تَدَارَكَتْ عَلَيْكُمُ الْأَعْمَالِ Your deeds will accumulate. You'll have a big list. Imagine, you have not, you have not done the salah of today. Subh, morning, fajr, dhuhr, asr, maghrib, ish. And then tomorrow, you know, then you need to, to do the, the salah. So which one will you start with? You'll be confused, isn't it? And in the Hanafi madhab, if you have missed less than five, less than five prayers, Right? Or five prayers in, in addition to the witr, you have to make it in order. <laughs> so imagine that. Imagine if you have missed the salah of today, and then tomorrow it is time, and then you will have to do the dhuhr of, of the, uh, the, the present dhuhr, but you have five daily prayers before that you have to deal with. That's a problem, isn't it? It, it, it makes you very tight. In time, it makes you very tight. In time, imagine, for example, you have some reading of Quran or some dhikr or something like that. E even at your at your work in your dunya, normal dunya work, you're supposed to finish a target by today. Then you say, "Inshallah, I'll leave a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit." These little bits at the end of the month become huge. The Prophet sallallahu said, "Iyakum wa muhakkarat al-dunub." Don't be little. Little sins. Don't think it is belittle. Why? Don't think it's little. For they accumulate until they destroy you. Don't belittle something small. For what other mountains? What other mountains? Little, little stones. What were the, the rivers? Little drops of rain. What were they originally? Little drops of rain. If you look at a forest... What was this forest? It was one day a bunch of seeds, isn't it? This grass that is in front of you was some seeds. You could carry them in your pocket, isn't it? But now you can't carry it. Right? You can't carry it. If you have a, a, a tree that you don't want, if you have a plant that you don't want, if you approach it when it is small, you can. But once it becomes a tree, a strong tree, you will not be able to do, to do anything about it, isn't it? Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said, I have not regretted anything in my life more than regretting a day which uh, the, the son of that day has sat, uh, said, I'm, I'm losing from my life, but I'm not increasing in my deeds. Definitely you're losing every day. Sayyidina Umar ibn, uh, ibn Abdul Aziz radiallahu ta'ala mentioned something similar to that. He said, day and night are working on you, so work in them. They will never leave you alone. And that's why they give a, a very beautiful example uh, before we actually get into some of the stories of the scholars of the past. They say the person 
in this life is like a man who saw a lion. He saw a lion. So running away from the lion, he happened to fall into a well. He happened to fall. He was running away from the lion, so he happened to fall into the well. But he knows that the well is very deep. The well is very deep. Can, can I ask the brother who's reading Quran at the back, just to, may Allah bless him, he has a very beautiful voice, but he can keep it to himself. Jazakallah khair. So, uh, this man, running away from the lion, happened to fall into a pit or into a well. But he, out of the rahmah of Allah, he managed to hold into two branches coming down from a tree. So he didn't fall to the bottom, and he's still hiding from the lion. And all of a sudden, two rats started eating these two branches, right? One black rat, and the other is a white rat. And in front of him, while he's hanging, imagine he's hanging to the, to the branches, he looks to the bottom of the well, there is a, a huge snake that is about to devour him. If he falls, waiting for him to, to fall, isn't it? And then in front of him, there is some honey. <laughs> so he, he extended his tongue and tasted the honey. So sweet. Right? So sweet. Then he started thinking, wow, this is very nice honey. Well, while he's thinking about the sweetness of the honey, what is happening? The rats didn't stop eating the branches. So if he keeps busy, himself busy with the honey, soon the, the branches will be eaten by the rats and he will fall down and he will, be, he will be an easy food for the snakes. But his thinking should not be about the sweetness of the honey. What he should be busy with? How can I get out of the well and run away from the light? So this is an example, right? They say that these two rats are the day and the night. And the branches are your life. And the honey is the sweetness of this life, the pleasures of this life. And the snakes are, huh? The snakes is your death. Your death, right? Your death. So what you should do is you should work to save yourself. Not from death, because you will have to fall at the end. Uh, but to save yourself quickly, to do something. That's why the, the, the earlier scholars, they used to be very, very cautious about their time. They were very stingy with their time. And, and this is a type of stinginess that's recommended stinginess, a good stinginess. Good to be stingy with your time. Look at this. This is beautiful. Qatadah ibn Da'amah al-Sadusi, rahimahullah, one of the tabi'een. He came to study with Sayyidina Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib was the son-in-law of Abu Hurairah. The famous companion. And he was one of the leading tabi'een, a great scholar, a muhaddith. Qatada ibn Da'ama al-Sadusi was born in 60 after the hijrah and he was blind. He was a blind man. Then he came and he was, had a very sharp memory. He came to Sayyidina Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib radiallahu ta'ala an, to learn hadith from him. And Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib radiallahu an, found that Qatada was so strong in, in he, he was so so cautious about his time. They used to say that he would finish the Quran in seven days. The whole reading of the Quran in seven days. And he, in, in Ramadan, he would finish the Quran every three nights. Every three. And in the last ten the nights of Ramadan, every, every night. Look at that. And he was what? He was blind. When he came to Sa'id ibn al-Musayb, Sa'id ibn al-Musayb said to him, seeing how 
how diligent he is, he said to him, مَا كُنْتُ أَظُنُّ أَنَّ اللَّهَ خَلَقَ مِثْلَكَ I never thought that Allah has created someone like you. So diligent and so cautious and so on and so forth. They said that he used to be very, very cautious about things. Now, look at this story about Qatada ibn Da'ama to show you how keen is he to use his time. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib radiallahu ta'ala an, being a great scholar, he had a problem with the ruler of the time, with the ruler of the time, the Khalifa of the time, because he, did, he refused to marry his daughter off to the Khalifa, and he married her off to one of his students. <laughs> the Khalifa wanted to marry his daughter, he said no. The Khalifa, he said, I don't want to put her in fitna. <laughs> and he married her off to one of his students. So the Khalifa got very offended. <laughs> so he decided, he sent to his governor on Medina, Sa'id ibn Musayyib used to live in Medina, the Khalifa sent to the governor, he said, punish Sa'id ibn Musayyib for refusing to marry me, his daughter. So they took Sa'id ibn Musayyib, they flogged him 60 lashes, and they put him in the sun, in the heat of the sun. Imagine he's just standing in the sun, he's tied in the sun for a few days, right? Then, and no one is allowed to sit with him or talk to him. Then Qatada ibn Da'am al-Sadusi said, where is he? Where is he erected? They said he's outside in, in the desert. He asked someone to take him there. And he sat, stood next to Sa'id ibn Musayb and started asking him questions. And, and telling him, answer me on this issue. And answer me on this issue. On this and this and that. Then Sa'id ibn Musayb, he says, radiallahu ta'ala, he said, I came to Sa'id ibn Musayb. وَقَدْ أُلْبِسَةُ بَانَ شَعْرٍ And he was covered in a skirt of hair. Like just to cover his aura, because he's supposed to be burning in the sun, right? To be put in the in the burning sun. So they just cover his aura and leave him naked, like that upper half of his body naked in the sun, as a way of torturing him. So Qatada ibn Da'ama said, I, I said to the one who is leading me, babe line, take me to Sa'id, bring me next to him. And I started asking him my questions. And he said, Afi mithli hadal in a place like this? In a place like this? He said, Yes, in a place like this. What's the problem? We will see later, inshallah, that some of these scholars used to read to their parents in the toilet. The father is in the toilet and the son is outside reading. Abu Hatim al-Razi, the Sheikh of Bukhari, and the Sheikh of Muslim. His son, Ibn Abi Hatim al-Razi, radiallahu ta'ala an majma'in, said, I used to read to my father even when he was in the hammam, in the toilet. He would read outside. That's how cautious they were. Sayyidina Sufyan al-Thawri radiallahu anhu, and that's another tabi'i who was born in 97 after Hijrah. Sayyidina Sufyan al-Thawri radiallahu ta'ala anhu, they said one day he came, Sufyan al-Thawri came to al-Basra, looking for Hamad ibn Salama. And Hamad ibn Salama is again another great muhaddith of that generation. Sufyan al-Thawri, when he arrived, he looked at Hamad, and he said to him, they didn't know each other. So he said to him, Hadithni bi hadithi Abil Ushara. Narrate to me the hadith of Abil Ushara. So Hamad ibn, ibn Salama said, Hadithani Abul Ushara. Abul Ushara narrated to me that so and so narrated to him, that so and so narrated to him, that the Prophet said, Finish the hadith that he wanted to learn. Then Hamad ibn Salama looked at the person who just, he asked him the question first, and then, Suf, uh, then, then Sufyan started hugging him and saying, Assalamu alaikum. He didn't say salam first. The first thing he said, 
narrated this hadith to me. After he finished the narration of the hadith, he said, Assalamu alaikum, how are you? And then the teacher, Hamad ibn Salam, looked at him and he said, Man anta, who are you? He said, Sufyan. He said, Ibn Sa'id, Sufyan, son of Sa'id. He said, yes. He said, Al-Thawri, Sufyan Al-Thawri. He said, yes. He said, Abu Abdullah, yes. Um, uh, so, so why didn't you say salam then? Like you're a man of adab. Why didn't you say salam first? He said, I was afraid that you die before you narrate the hadith to me. <laughs> I was afraid that you die before you narrate the hadith to me. See, brothers, we laugh at that. But this is how keen they were. This is how keen they were. They even mentioned that soon we'll, we'll come to this story that one of the scholars came to his teacher. And then he asked him about the hadith. And he, before he narrated, he said to him, Min kitabik, if you can get your book, like the, the written copy, because the written copy will, more, will be more accurate, just to confirm. So he said, okay, I'll go and get my copy. So he stood up and he went to across the road to get the cook from his house. Before he moved, he held it. He said, hold on, narrate it to me first and then go and get the copy. <laughs> go and get the copy, but before, just narrate it to me. So he said, well, I'm going to get the copy. I'll narrate from the copy. He said, no, no, no. Narrate it. If something happens to you from here to the house, I'll lose it. You better narrate it to me and then go and get the copy and then confirm. Right, but see how, how, how cautious they were. This student of... Uh, Hamad ibn Salama, Sufyan al-Thawr radiallahu ta'ala doesn't uh, take us away from someone like al-Imam al-Khalil ibn Ahmad radiallahu ta'ala al-Khalil ibn Ahmad radiallahu ta'ala was one of the leading scholars of Arabic language was one of the leading scholars of Arabic language al-Khalil ibn Ahmad al-Farahidi this man has invented some sciences. One of them is the science of arud, prosody. The science of prosody is a science through which we can scale Arabic poetry to know if this poetry is correct or incorrect. In this case, it's like Arabic meter. It's like a poetic meter. This man, Al-Khalil ibn Ahmad al-Farahidi, was one of great, great masters. He's the first one who wrote an Arabic lexicon, an Arabic, Arabic dictionary. The first one ever. His book, Al-Ain. He called it Kitab Al-Ain, the book of Ain, the letter Ain, right? And he invented the science or the art of scaling poetry and discovered the meters of Arabic poetry when he was walking in the market of copper makers, you know, people who make copper pots. He was walking in the market and he was repeating some lines of poetry and people are making copper and they're just hitting. So with these hits, it literally synchronized with what he was reciting. So he said, oh, there must be a meter. So he went and he started thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And they say that he went to Al-Haram al-Makki and made 70 times tawafs around the Kaaba. 70 times tawafs around the Kaaba. Some narrations, 70,000 times. Tawaf around the Kaaba, asking Allah in every spot in the Haram to guide him to something. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened his chest to that. So in Arabic poetry, we have 16 and actually 17 molds, 17, uh, what we call 17 meters. Mufa'alatun, Mufa'alatun, Mufa'al, something like that. Mustaf'ilun, 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 Mustaf'ilun. And anyone who studies Arabic poetry and studies prosody, and they master it in addition to talent, and in addition to, to rhetoric, in addition to strong 
uh, amount of, of grammar as well, they can write poetry. And if you don't write poetry, you will know if this poetry is correct or not correct. If you speak and you say, well, I'm, I'm writing this, this is poetry, I can easily look at it and say, no, that's not poetry. Why is it not poetry? Oh, it's missing this, and it's missing this, and it's missing this. This meter is not. So everything that we have in Arabic, po Arabic poetry, what Arabs have said before Islam and after Islam, falls within these 17, yeah, 17 uh, samples, 17 styles. We call each one of them Bahr, sea. Each one of them is called a sea. So we have Al-Tawil, Al-Mudari', Al-Muqtadar, Al-Munsarih, Al-Rajaz, Al-Hazaj. So this man, Al-Khalil ibn Ahmad, rahimahullah ta'ala, look how, how cautious he is, how diligent he is. Do you know how did he die, brothers and sisters? He was thinking about an issue of grammar, walking into the mosque of Baghdad so taken by it that he stumbled in the, in the pillar of the masjid and it hit his head, he fell down it. He died while he was thinking about knowledge. This is how, how important time was then. Now this man said, they asked him, what is the heaviest moment in your life? What is the moment that you don't like? Each, each and every one of us, there is a specific moment that we don't like, isn't it? You want to finish it very quickly. For some people, it's salah, isn't it? <laughs> it's being in the mosque, you want to finish it quickly. He said the heaviest moment in my life is the time when I'm eating. Is the time when I'm eating. Why? He said, because this is the time when I'm similar to a beast. This is the time when I'm eating. But look how much time do we spend in thinking about food? And then how much time do we sit to eat? And how much time do we sit after food to digest the food? The Prophet ﷺ said, واحد, A believer eats in one stomach. والكافر, and a disbeliever eats in seven stomachs. It doesn't mean that a disbeliever has seven stomachs. In fact, you will find in reality, physically, that the stomachs of some believers is far bigger than the stomachs of various disbelievers, right or wrong. But the Prophet ﷺ is, is, is indicating or guiding us to know that a person for whom food is a focal point in his life, he thinks too much about it. And this, not sh this shouldn't be the practice of a believer. A believer should not spend his day thinking only about food. A believer should not, because there are various desires related to food. It's not only about eating. There is a desire that is called the desire of smelling, isn't it? When you smell the food of your wife, or even when the, the smell is evoked by your mind, when you just invoke the smell. Your wife asks you, what would you like to have today? And you say, ah, you know, I remember that day, this, uh, this uh, samosa that you made was really good. You know, I still, and then the smell jumps into your mind. That's a desire. There is a desire related to the ear, listening to the, to the, to the frying of the food, listening to the food being cooked. And then there is a, a desire that's called the desire of imagining, imagining the food, visualizing the food, the visual side of the food. You know, all of these kebab shops and all of these shops that sell food outside, what do they work on? What do they work on? Huh? The visualization. The visualization. You find 
the, the burgers, the burger flyers, you look at the burger and then when you see the reality of the burger when you go to the shop, big gap between both, isn't it? You look at the burger, uh, it looks like a, a mountain, isn't it? And then, then one of the desires of imagination is imagining the amount of what you are going to eat. Before iftar, what do you say to your wife? What would you like to have? Oh, I'm going to eat this and this. Are you sure you're going to eat all of this? Are you sure you're going to stuff all of this into your stomach? Your stomach is the same size of your palm. It's the same size of your hand. Are you going to stuff all of this in this? Don't wait. But you imagine, isn't it? When the food is served, 90%, 80% of it in the best in the best situation, 50% of it is thrown in the bin. And we commit loads of things there. Number one, we have not disciplined our egos. And we have wasted. And we have been ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the time you spend on all of these desires, and then there is the desire of tasting. That's why there is a job that's related to tasting food and tasting drinks, isn't it? Some people don't want to eat, but they just want to have a taste, to taste it. I just want to have a sip. I just want to have a little. Why? Just to have the taste, to keep the taste in your mind and to keep the taste in your mouth. That's why they sell loads of things that are really rubbish, isn't it? That are really rubbish and junk, but they just add flavors. Is the flavor that makes it, that the reality of it is, not, is nonsense. Crisps. The reality of it is very harmful. But why do people go for a specific flavor? You want cheese and onion. You want vinegar and this. You want this. It's flavor. That's a desire. That's called the desire of flavor. So all of these are desires related to food. And then the final desire that is related to food is satisfying the hunger. All of these desires have no value except satisfying the hunger. A believer should eat to satisfy his hunger. That's it. When you eat only to satisfy your hunger rather than to satisfy your ears or to satisfy your eyes or to satisfy your nose or to satisfy your tongue, right? Or to satisfy your mind or to satisfy your mind. There is another desire that people even don't talk about. That's the desire. That's the sexual desire. People eating specific types of food to get specific type of energy, right? And thinking, choosing, picking, right? All of these desires should not be in your mind. What should be in your mind is, I am eating because I have to eat. And that's it. If that is the way, this is the prophetic way, to eat, to fill this starvation. If you do that, number one, there will be no fights and argumentations between you and your wife. That's ABC. Because you're eating anything that is available. You're not choosing, you're not picky, you're not fussy. Anything that's available will be fine. And number two, you'll not be bothered too much about the amount, whether it's little or more. And number three, you'll save your life by saving your time from thinking about food. So, another example. Imam Abu Yusuf, the student of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah ta'ala. Imam Abu Yusuf al-Qadi, rahimahullah Ya'qub ibn Ibrahim al-Ansari. They said on his deathbed, he was dying, on his deathbed, his student... Ibrahim ibn al-Jarrah visited him to wish him health. And Ibrahim ibn al-Jarrah narrates to us. He said, Abu Yusuf became ill and I came to him and I found that he has fainted. 
So when he regained his conscious, he came back from his fainting. He looked at me. <laughs> Imagine you're visiting someone and he was in his deathbed, you know, at the hospital. He, when he regained his conscious, he looked at me and he said, Yeah, Ibrahim, what do you think about a specific issue? What is the hukum here? So I said to him, in this case, in this situation, you're dying. In this situation, he said, what's the problem? What's the problem? There could be someone who benefits from this discussion and he is saved from ignorance. So he wants to benefit Muslims by the last minutes of his life. So he said, Ya Ibrahim, tell me, what is better in stoning, in throwing the stones, in Hajj? When you go to Hajj, throw the stones. Sayyidina Imam Abu Yusuf asks his student Ibrahim ibn al-Jarrah al-Kufi, he says, which is better? To throw the stones while walking or while riding. In those days, it was quite relaxed. They had spacious places. So they could ride their camels or they could ride their donkeys and they go with the donkey. Because it was, it was unlike today. So he said, what is better? To go from the jamarat, from one to the other, riding and stone while riding or stone while standing, while walking on foot. So he said, rakiban. Riding? He said, wrong. I said, well, then walking on foot. He said, wrong. He said, then tell me, my teacher, teach me. May Allah be pleased with you. He said, if he is coming to a spot where he is supposed to make dua, if you're coming to a spot where you are supposed to make dua, then it is better to walk. And when you're coming to a spot where you are not going to make dua, you just basically, when you come to the jamrah, the point where you throw the stones, that's where you make dua, isn't it? Get off your mount and walk. Be on your foot. Stand out and make dua. But in between them, in between the jamarat, you can write. So he said, where there is no dua, you write. When there is dua, you walk. So look at this. Not only that, continuing with Imam Abu Yusuf, he said, they, when they des described how much time he spent with his teacher, Imam Abu Hanifa, they said he's been with his teacher for 29 years. 29 years. People nowadays, they go to a few classes and they say, well, I am the student of so-and-so. Or I have studied a person reads the Qur'an once or twice or he had just memorized the Qur'an yesterday and he thinks that he is Imam al-Muslimi. It's a disaster. And the Prophet wasallam said that one of the indications of the close, the, 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 the time, the drawing near of the end of times, the drawing near of the day of Qiyamah is أن يخطب الغلمان على المنابر That little children who are not qualified give khutbah on the manabir. They speak. Look at, nowadays obviously we take the member literally, isn't it? But we have something called the virtual member, YouTube. Every individual today who has got a video camera, he can just, or a phone even, he can just put his phone, record himself, and post it on YouTube. If you look at the people on YouTube who are followed by the biggest number of youth, you will find that all of them are young lads, street boys, who has been away from the right path, and then all of a sudden, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed their path. And they became practicing. Good. That good is in, its, in itself is good. 
But what is not good is when yesterday you were a criminal or you were a thug or you were a street boy or you were in a ga gangster and today you have become sheikh. They just need to wait until their beard grows. And it doesn't take long. If they shave a few times, it will grow in a week. So, as the, as the, the scholars of the past, they said this. They said, They think it is because of the length of their beards, they can be judges, they can be scholars. If that's the case, then why don't we produce why don't we promote a male goat? Because the male goat has a very good beard, by the way. <laughs> this is not my statement. This is a statement of people before Imam al-Ghazali in the as in the early 300 years. They said if it is all about the beard, the length of the beard, then the male goat will be the sheikh of the city. <laughs> we, get, we, 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 we replace all the imams if the, if the imama being an imam or a scholarship is about the length of your beard خلاص, let's get the goats to lead us there it's not, it's not about that ilm is something else so they said that imam Abu Yusuf look at this they said he has not missed the salah of fajr with his teacher for 29 years and he has not left him in Eid al-Fitr or Eid al-Adha, even the day of Eid, where he's supposed to take time and go to his family. To the level that Muhammad ibn Qudama narrates from Shuja' ibn Makhlad, narrating that he said, I heard Abu Yusuf saying, one of my children passed away. <laughs> one of my children passed away. And I couldn't attend, I didn't attend his funeral or his burial. And I asked my neighbors to look after him because I didn't want to lose the chance of sitting with Abu Hanifa. Who would do that? Who would do that today? He said, one of my children passed away, so I asked my neighbors, bury him. He knows that whether he is there or he's not there, that child will be buried and the janazah will be done. And his presence or lack of his presence will not add to that. Obviously, we're not telling people to, to reach this level. This is called a very exemplary level of dedication and sacrifice. We're not asking, we're not expecting people to do that. And the, the, the main point of these stories is not to make you guys change into that, but to give you an idea so that if we can't be them, at least to be like them. Just to try to, to take something. Imam Muhammad ibn al-Hasan, rahimahullah ta'ala, again another student of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, they said he used to divide his night into three parts. One third he would sleep, one third he would pray, and one third he would study. So they, they said that Imam Muhammad ibn Hassan was a very clean and pristine man. He used to look, he used to look after his clothing, making sure that he's very clean. He's very, he's, he put perfume, he's very, he's very nice, he's very presentable, very crisp. They said sometimes while he's seeking knowledge and writing and things like that, sometimes his clothes would become very dirty. And he will not have even time to change his clothes until they bring him something and then he would put it and remove the other. So they said to him, why don't you sleep at night? He doesn't sleep at night. He said, how can I sleep while the eyes of Muslims, Muslims have gone to sleep entrusting us with their deen. They entrust us with their deen. How can we sleep then? And so on and so forth. They even say, you know what is a dinar? 
you know, what is the value of a dinar? We always hear about the dinar and the dirham, isn't it? As two coins. You know what is a dinar? How big is the dinar? The dinar is 4.25, is like four and quarter grams of gold. The dinar is what? It's four and quarter grams of gold. So how much will be four, four and quarters grams of gold now? Hundred something pounds? Yeah, more than that? See, that's, 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 a, that's a fortune. Bear in mind that the students of knowledge were very poor people. And the scholars were very poor people. Isam al-Balkhi, Isam ibn Yusuf al-Balkhi, a, a, a scholar of the Hanafi Madhab, they said, he was studying with one of his teachers and his pen got broken. His pen, the one he was writing with, got broken. He doesn't want to lose the minute to look for another pen and to negotiate the price of another pen. So he said, who can sell me a pen for a dinar? <laughs> he offered the dinar on the spot. That could have been the dinar. The dinar could have been his nafaqa, his own maintenance, his own expenditure for six months. Or for three months. Meaning, he would eat with a dinar for three months. Because they used to eat like dates, one date a day or two dates. That's it. That's it. And they would drink from the rivers and public places. Right? So he said, who would sell me a pen for a dinar? Because he wants, then they said, people put their pens forward. They wanted to buy it so that he would not miss anything. Another example, who knows Imam Muslim, the famous Imam Muslim, the compiler of hadith, right? The author, the compiler of Sahih Muslim. You know how Imam Muslim, rahimahullah ta'ala, died? They said that Imam Muslim, rahimahullah ta'ala, was asked one day about hadith. Was asked one day about hadith. And one of the hadiths he was asked about, he did not remember it. He did not recognize it. So he spent the whole night looking for it in the box. While he was spending the whole night looking for it, he couldn't go to sleep. One of his relatives gave him a big basket. He had a big basket of dates. He started eating while he was looking for the hadith. And he didn't know what he's eating. They said, imagine you eating a big basket of dates over the night. What will that do to you? It will kill you. Next day he died. Imam ibn Sahnun, rahimahullah ta'ala, Imam Muhammad ibn Sahnun, that's a famous, shaf, uh, a famous Maliki faqih, and he is the one who gathered the fatawa of Imam Malik. They said that Imam Sahnun, rahimahullah ta'ala, he had a surriya. Surriya is a, a, a slave. He had a, a female slave called Ummu Mudam. So one night he said to her, Ya Ummu Mudam, can you bring us the food, my dinner? So she brought him his dinner and she put it. By the time she brought it, he was already writing and he was studying. So he said, I'm busy now. So she sat next to the food waiting for him to become free for five minutes to eat his dinner. Then he didn't become free. So she sat next to him and started feeding him. <laughs> started putting the food in his mouth. And he's writing and writing and writing until Fajr. Then after Fajr, when he heard the Adhan of Fajr, he said, Ya Umm Mudan, I'm sorry, I missed my dinner. Where is the food? <laughs> she said, I have already fed him the food. 
قال ما شعرت بذلك is it i have not i have not even felt that you see that brothers and sisters that's oh, it doesn't mean that you go right and then you you become busy with something you say to your wife feed me I, because i don't feel anything look at this another another important and we will finish with this inshallah ta'ala they say that imam al-jahiz amr ibn bakr al-jahiz a great linguist of his time they said he used to hire bookshops if someone has a library or he said booksellers he would hire the shop from them he says for one night or two nights to go in and read the books inside until one day while he was alone imagine you're sitting alone and you have to climb a ladder to get the books from top and then one day the books fell on him and there was no one to help him and he died underneath the books he died imam al-jahid died underneath the books they said he is the one murdered by the books there are two people in history related to books in the beginning of their life and the end of their life al-jahid died by the books al-imam suyuti rahimahullah his mom gave birth to him in a library so they used to call him ibn al-kutub the son of the books because he was born among his the, the books right another individual is al-fath ibn khaqan they said al-fath ibn khaqan used to work for the khalifa al-mutawakkil abbasi khalifa when al-mutawakkil would go to the toilet or to pray al-fath ibn khaqan used to keep a book in his sleeve and he would just take it out and read one page or two pages while al-mutawakkil is in the toilet and then he puts it back they said he finished volumes like this so and and to to finalize this inshallah i'm narrating a story a real story of one of our contemporary teachers his name is al-habib salim ibn abdullah shatri he's from the land of yemen al-habib salim ibn abdullah shatri uh, this was related to me from one of the people who actually it was related to him by the habib himself by the sheikh himself he said to him i read the history of ibn khaldun ibn khaldun is a historian he wrote history in eight volumes eight volumes each volume is about 500 to 600 pages so we're talking about 600 pages 500 pages by eight that's about 4000 pages he said i read the history of ibn khaldun behind the door of my flat he said how he said i am asthmatic the sheikh said i'm asthmatic and my i live in the third floor so every day i go up by the time i reach my flat i'm panting running out of breath so i sit by the end of the door to take off my shoes and rest for a minute before I go in. He said, I used to keep a volume next to the door of my flat. While I'm sitting, resting, picking up my breath, I'll just open and read one page, two pages, three pages, like that. Over eight years or six years, he finished that. That's in addition to the rest of his teaching and studying and learning. But look at this minute, this minute that you spent by the door, picking up your shoes. This minute that you spend outside the mosque waiting for someone. This minute that you spend in the masjid between the salah, between the iqamah and the salah. The minute that you spend in doing anything. The minute that you spend in the, in the tube. The minutes that you spend in the tube. Or in the bus. Or waiting at the bus station. These are loads of things. Loads of times. Precious times. What do you do with that? Do you look at your phone? Do you check your Facebook? Yes, this is what people do. 
This is what people do nowadays. But imagine if you replace your phone with a book. If you replace your phone with a book. Or if you replace your phone with Allah's book. With Allah's book. If you replace that with five ayat of the Quran to memorize every day. Don't say I'm 60 or 70. You grow old but your mind doesn't. Your mind and your memory, memory is like a muscle. When you use your muscle, it will be strong. When you don't use it, it becomes weak. Some of the uncles complain and say, Sheikh, you know, I have very weak memory. I say there is no weak memory and there is no string memory. There is someone who uses his memory and there is someone who doesn't use his memory. That's the difference. You use your memory. If your memory is weak, you would have forgotten the name of your wife. Do you forget the name of your wife? You are in big trouble if you say yes. Right? And you are also in big trouble if you say no. <laughs> you are in trouble anyway. Right? So no one forgets these simple details. Do you forget your, your bank, banking password? You don't. Do you forget your email password? You don't. Do you forget your address? You don't. People tell you simple details of life and you remember them very well. That means you have a, a working memory. So what makes your memory working but not functioning properly is because you're not... Half of that, they say, as human beings, as human beings, we only use 10% of our brain. Sometimes, if you're really genius, use 20% of your brain. 20% and 80% of that is subtle, is not used. That's why when we read about these scholars who use their brains at a higher level, 30% or 40% or 50%, how come? How come that you have memorized a poem that is a thousand lines or two thousand lines or five thousand lines or ten thousand lines? How come that someone has memorized Al-Bukhari seven thousand hadiths? Well, that shows you that there is, this is within the reach of the human mind. It's, it is achievable. It's accomplished. It can be accomplished. What you need to do is two things. Number one, utilize the, what we will call them time nuggets. Time nuggets. These little nuggets, you know, when you have chicken nuggets and eat it, it doesn't fail. But if you, if you, 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 you take it as a snack, Take, make your time like time nuggets. A few minutes, five minutes before Fajr. One line, one ayah, one hadith every day. You will realize that you are achieving a lot. The difference between those who achieve and those who don't achieve is those who achieve, they know how to use their time. They are stingy with the time. They use these little minutes. And number two, so number one, use your time nuggets. Number two, be consistent. Establish habits. Time nuggets and establishing habits. Make this a habit. Don't read in Ramadan and then after Ramadan you don't read. Don't memorize Quran Ramadan after Ramadan you don't. You will miss it. Sometimes we complain that our children are not achieving in the Quran. You know why? We send them to Quran during the school time. In the summer holiday, the kids are sitting in front of the television and in front of the internet. All what they have achieved during the school time is wiped out, is erased completely. And we go back to square one. We go back to A, B, and C. They have memorized five surahs in, during the school year. During the summer holiday, they forgot the five surahs. So what are you doing? After that, they are memorizing the five surahs again. And again. And again. And again. Yesterday, we were saying in Palm's Green Masjid, where I lead Taraweeh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nahl, and we finish with this, don't be like the woman who unravels her yarn. 
In Jahiliyyah, before Islam, there was a woman, crazy woman, stupid woman. She used to have slaves and servants. They used to make, to, to make, to weave from the morning till the half day, till the afternoon. And then from the afternoon onwards, they will undo what they have woven every day. In the morning, from the morning till the midday, they make, they bring the strings and the thread. She had a big yarn and she used to make very good fabric. For the, rest, for the rest of the day, she will undo the fabric. So the Quran said, what's it? So the Arabs looked at this and they said, she's stupid. <laughs> so she, she, they made her the icon of stupidity. Her name was Rita. So they said, ahmaq min Rita. No one is more stupid than Rita. Why? This woman, Rita, in the morning she does something, in the evening she does something. Completely the opposite. So the Quran says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّتِي نَقَضَتْ غَزْلَهَا Don't be like the woman who has unraveled her yarn. مِنْ بَعْدِ قُوَّةِ After it was strong. And كَاثَا like It makes it completely undone. Why do you do that? You make a covenant. You make a promise. And then you undo it. Same thing. Establish a habit. Build on it. When you build on it, it becomes strong. When you don't build on it, it dies as if it has not, as if it has not been done. And you know, brothers and sisters, and we'll, inshallah ta'ala, we finish with this. One of the people who will be severely punished on the day of Qiyamah. Listen to this. One of the people who will be severely punished on the day of Qiyamah for a grave sin is a man who has memorized the Qur'an or some of the Qur'an and he forgot it by neglecting the revision. You neglect revising what you have memorized from the Qur'an. You come on the day of Qiyamah and you are punished for neglecting the Qur'an to the level that you forgot it. And that is all coming from the importance of utilizing your time. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. Allahumma ya man wafaq ahl al-khayri al-khayri wa dallahum alayh. Wafiqna ila isti'amali awqatina wa amalina wa azmanina fima tuhibbuhu wa tarda ya kareem. Allahumma inna nas'aluka ziyadatan fi al-sihha. Wa Allahumma inna nas'aluka hifzan fi al-awqat. وزيادة في الدين وحفظا في الأموال وحفظا في الذرار واحفظنا وثقل موازيننا ويسر أمورنا وبلغنا العلا من الجنة يا كريم اللهم اجعلنا من عبادك الذين يستثمرون أوقاتهم فيما فيما يرضيك يا كريم والله help us use our times in what pleases you and make our life an investment for our akhirah and make us, uh, give us increase and blessing in our time and our minutes and our moments and our intentions. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina mawlana Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.